0: good afternoon. I'm Lou Eisen, boxing writer, historian, and this is Ring Talk. We're coming to you a little later today, and we hope you enjoy the show we have for you today. Uh, It's very interesting. Today we're going to talk about the very important Canadian history, the George chevalier Muhammad Ali world title fight, uh, March 29, 1966. And people know a lot went into that fight. There was a big kerfuffle here in Ontario. What makes it interesting, especially today on Sunday in September, is tonight there's a big heavyweight fight on between Luis Ortiz uh the Cuban expatriate who I believe from what I've been told is 53 and he's, he's fighting the former world champion Andy Ruiz who I think will knock him out but that's for later on or another show today we're talking about uh the fight from March 29th 1966 Maple Leaf Gardens uh George Chavattle the hard rock from Canada the man who's born, taken straight from the Canadian Shield, born September 12th, 1937. And this was his second challenge for the world heavyweight title against Muhammad Ali. He only had 17 days to train for this fight. You know, unlike a lot of fighters today, um, very few fighters are in shape all year round. But back then in George's time, in the 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, you had to be because you never knew when a chance would come along. So if somebody called and said, you're getting a title shot in, in a month, you couldn't say, well, I need three months to get ready. It didn't work like that. Guys would fall out and you'd get a shot. When when uh, um, Angelo Dundee's um, uh, fighter, Willie Pastrano, fought for the World Light Heavyweight title, he was the sixth replacement. Five in a row had canceled. He had a short time to get ready, and he won. He beat Harold Johnson. But five guys before him said no not enough time and he said yeah i'll do it so you have to take advantage of what you have a year before in 1965 um george had had a shot against the mafia controlled fighter from chicago uh ernie terrell for the wba version and what happened was when ali beat Sonny liston um february 25th 1964 to win the title uh they had a rematch and because they had a rematch wba said we don't allow rematches but of course Everyone in boxing knew that unless you sign for a rematch, before you sign for your original title shot in any weight division, the champion would not give you uh, a shot at his crown. So Ali had to sign that. He had no choice. And when he announced that they were doing it, the WBA said that they were going to pull, you know, the recognition of Ali as World heavyweight champ. champion. It was bogus. The WBA knew beforehand that this was going to happen. They were in on the whole thing but they still did it anyways. A lot of it just came because of the bigotry that these people had towards Muhammad Ali, not only because of the color of his skin, but he had the temerity to exercise his constitutional rights by switching his religion, which was a common thing, and also by changing his name, which is something that's still common in Canada, United States, and throughout the world, and because of their visceral hatred towards Sunni List and and most black, if not all black fighters. And so um, Ali fought Ernie Terrell, uh, years later, but he beat Liston. The original fight was supposed to be before Shavala Ali was supposed to be Ali and Terrell in Toronto. That's the fight. It was actually supposed to be um, my mistake in Chicago. And they moved it around. No city wanted it because of Muhammad Ali's anti-Vietnam War stance, which refused to go into the army. Uh, as a conscientious objector and so what happened was it was offered everywhere throughout the states no one wanted it they came to canada it was going to be in montreal but mayor jean drapeau had to say no because uh people said in the states american legions and other powerful groups if you allow this fight we will boycott expo 67 which i actually went to and they couldn't afford to lose those people after spending all that money so he said the fight can't be here they tried to do it in edmonton try to do it in Coburg, and in different cities kingston and finally came to maple leaf gardens in toronto and the reason um terrell pulled out of of the fight uh was because for several reasons. He was, it was supposed to be him and Ali at Maple Leaf Gardens instead of Chevallo. As I said, Terrell was a mob-owned fighter and and Bernie Glickman was his handler. Bernie Glickman was uh, a convicted killer for the mob in Chicago. And when Terrell fought Al, uh, fought Chevalho here in 65, in Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens won a decision which everyone thought Chevalho won and it was stolen by the mob at gunpoint. The judges were threatened, the referee was threatened, uh, Sammy Lovespring uh was threatened that um the new york papers were the only ones that had the and the other american papers toronto papers ignored it because they were never uh boosters of george devalu they always couldn't wait to take a strip out of him um so the new york papers wrote more interested in the fact that george won the fight but didn't get the decision is the fact that uh ernie terrell's uh mob manager convicted killer is was allowed into Canada to be in his corner. Is there a special rule in Canada that says if you've taken a man's life and you belong to the mafia, you get special dispensation. So this raised a big stink. So now Terrell's supposed to come back and fight Ali and the unification fight in Toronto and Terrell said, I can't do it because Bernie Clickman is not allowed. And the reason Clickman wasn't allowed was because when, when the mob tried to strong arm uh, Ali uh the Fruit of Islam and his Muslim handlers from the Nation of Islam, beat after they were threatened by the mob, beat Glickman into a coma, and he ended up in, in the hospital and then in prison for the rest of his life. And so the mob was put in their place, and because they wouldn't be able to adversely affect the outcome in terms of Ali and and buy people off or threaten and intimidate them to score for Terrell, Terrell pulled out of the fight. And the fight happened later when Terrell was desperate for money and he had to fight Alley in Houston and Alley won every round. So they needed someone to fill in. You had a fight that was, you know, it was short notice. It was less than three weeks away. Who would fill in? How about George Chevallo, Canadian fighter. He's in the top 10, right? He knocked out Doug Jones in 11 rounds in New York. Jones was in the top 10. Irv Ungerman said to Chevallo, you can't fight Doug Jones this is 64. Uh, He's too quick. And Jones was a puffed up light heavyweight. And George just mauled him for 11 rounds before mercifully knocking him out. He then went and fought Floyd Patterson in a fight in which he destroyed Patterson, but Patterson being from New York and a former world champion, got a decision. And then of course, nine minutes after the fight ended in the 12th round, collapsed and went to the hospital. So George lost the fight officially, although he won the fight in the hearts of the fans. So let George fight uh, um, uh, Ali for the undisputed world heavyweight title. So what was going to happen then, of course, when they made that fight, this great fight, they asked George, do you want to do it? It was it was the beginning of Bob Arum's career, the first major fight that he promoted. He promoted one before that. But this was the first title fight. And he and they said to George, would you be interested? Mike Malitz from Maine Bouts called from Chicago. Are you interested in fighting? Uh, Ali at Maple Leaf Gardens are in Canada in in the next 17 days and he said George had a sense of humor he said let me call my wife calls his wife says I'm gonna be fighting so do you want to go to a fight in 17 days who's fighting me who are you fighting Ali and of course his wife laughed but it was true so he called back said he was free he would take the fight and he took the fight he had 17 days to train so he doubled his running from five miles a day to ten miles a day chopped trees a sparring partner who's got brought in the best sparring partners. He said the mistake he made that he fought in a small ring when he was training. It should have been a larger ring because it would be a larger ring in which they would be fighting. And Ali was very somber at the press conference. He wasn't his typical bombastic self, and he said, I really appreciate and he, he meant it, That how well that I've been treated by Torontonians. Everyone in Canada has been nice. The police have been incredibly gracious. The media has been wonderful to me. Restaurants have been nice, and we weren't at war with Vietnam. We had no problem with Muhammad Ali, so everyone embraced him here, and Muhammad loved that. George respected Muhammad's stance against the Vietnam War, and respected the fact that Muhammad had changed his name and and his religion, and, and very respectful of that. But still wanted to knock Muhammad out because if you're the world heavyweight champion, you know you're almost on easy street. You can you the money starts pouring in, and they're training and training, and, and Muhammad's training downtown at, at Lansdowne, and George's training, is training at Sully's, and and they're getting in shape for the fight. And this is when you had, as I said, to be in shape all the time. George was, uh, was born, his birthday's coming up, September 12, 1937, and he'll be, I believe, 85. George, believe it or not, had 93 career fights, 73 wins, 64 knockouts, more than most people have fights these days. He lost 18, some of those losses were undis- uh, were disputed, and he had two draws. You have to remember when George started out in boxing, there wasn't really any any top flight trainers like Angelo Dundee or Eddie Futch or Charlie Goldman, or rare sell in Canada. So he missed those beginning steps of where you start off e- against easy opponents you know, and fight six rounds, eight, 10, 12, 15. He was fighting 15 round fights right from the beginning. And George's debut, uh, came April twenty fourth, nineteen fifty six, in a in a uh, tournament, a tough man tournament sponsored by the former champ Jack Dempsey, and George won all four fights that night by knockout, and he started his career off. And uh, a couple years later, after that, in, in fifty eight, September fifteenth, he knocked out uh, one of his first heroes, James J. Parker, in one round to win the Canadian heavyweight title, which he fought and defended against Bob Clareau, lost to him beat him and then lost him again although that was a disputed decision it was the only time i know of in canadian history where where two canadians clarou from montreal and Chevallo from toronto were rated in the top 10 in the heavyweight rankings in ring magazine uh george came from an immigrant family a lot of people think he was italian his family's croatian and this is fascinating to me because when george would go to the hall of fame you'd see nino benvenuti the former middleweight champ and he could speak perfect italian and benvenuti could speak perfect perfect Croatian, and that's because George said the towns he grew up in bordered each other and each knew the other's language. George also uh, spoke French, speaks French, and could speak Yiddish quite well because there were a lot of Jewish people involved in the fight game at that time, and uh, one time when he, I think he was fighting James J. Parker for the title on a Friday night, and, and the promoter said to him, listen, it's going to be sundown soon, and a lot of the Jews here in the audience will leave, they have to get home. So can you please end the fight quickly? And George knocked him out in one round. So George has his career. But George's career is very difficult. You know, Muhammad almost had a golden parachute. George was invited to go to the 56 Olympics in Melbourne, Australia. But the Olympics then wasn't like it was today. There was no one. No one would pay for your flight. No one would pay for the training uh, or, or anything like that. He would have to fly himself over and put himself up. And he just didn't have that kind of money. And he probably could have won the Olympics, the heavyweight gold medal that year. Whereas in the United States, when Ali went and won the light heavyweight gold medal in Rome, everything was covered by the US Olympic Committee. That didn't come along in Canada till years and years later. So George had to turn pro with an amateur pedigree, but there weren't many people in Canada around who could train him well and refine him. So George had to lose, had to win and fight and lose by trial and error. So. He had some fights when he started that he won and other fights he was supposed to win where he didn't because he hadn't been taught things that he had to learn in the gym and during fights. And I think the real turning point for George Chevalo in his career was when he was in New York for the Patterson fight and he was training at Gleason's gym and the immortal Charlie Goldman came in and Golden, Charlie Goldman trained Rocky Marciano and other world champions and he turned Marciano basically into it from an uncouth street thug not street thug, but back alley fighter, into a really great world-dominant heavyweight champion. And he looked at George working out, and he said, why are you throwing punches out the window, round punches? And so he got in the ring with George, he asked his permission first, and he tied his feet to the canvas, and he said, when you throw the punch, he said, don't swing wide, you're telegraphing it, and you're taking power off of it. Plant your feet this far apart, turn at the hips, shoulder snap. And when George started to listen to him and do that, the knockouts came, and George became a much more uh, refined fighter. He destroyed Doug Jones, as I said, gave Patterson the worst beating Patterson ever took, and he's moving up in the rankings the whole time. Meanwhile, uh, he had met Muhammad Ali in the early 60s, and he used to call him at that time cautious clay, and Muhammad's arms were thin, as opposed to George who had these gigantic arms And the second biggest hands in boxing history. And he was able to take his fingers and put them around Muhammad's uh, bicep. He called and he, he said, Hey, Popeye, nice arms. And Muhammad didn't understand at the time. He did later, although he didn't laugh at it. So Muhammad starts off in 1960. He's got Angelo Dundee, and Dundee is one of the greatest, you know, my surrogate father, one of the greatest trainers of all time. And he's training Muhammad and he's building him up with each fight. You know that each fight he's giving him an opponent that he could beat but also learn from and he's going he's doing that and george is slogging it out you know for small money while muhammad's getting up there and getting up there and getting up there and before they fought Angel had another fighter named mike dijon and they fought in louisville kentucky him and george and it was an interesting fight because george dropped him three times knocked him out twice and still won by majority decision the referee scored a draw. The two judges gave it to George because and this is where Muhammad got the nickname Washer Woman. He hit Mike dejean who was 6'5", 6'4". dejean fell upper torso back over the ropes. But there's no rule that says you can't stop hitting him. So George is hitting him like this, and that's where Muhammad called him the Washer Woman. And George realized that when he watched the tape of the fight, and he didn't take it personally. He just thought it was very funny and very smart Muhammad that, you know, to come up with that tag. So... But during that fight angelo and other people in dijon's corner kept calling uh, we got to stop the fight so the guy's knocked out they stop him for 15 minutes they let him come to. okay we'll let the fight continue you know and he loses points he, in the round that he dropped them twice in because he hit him when he was leaning back over the rope so there was no rules saying you can't and the referee hadn't stepped in and so george is climbing up the ranks and finally when terrell falls out here at maple leaf gardens uh they set the fight from march 29th uh 1929 1929 1966 the maple leaf gardens now there's another problem merv mckenzie who was part of the w uh ba uh sanctioning the new incoming president of the sanctioning committee he was replacing the outgoing one ed lastman and ed lastman was the one who wouldn't recognize um is the WBA champion. He was the head of the WBA committee and the head of the Miami Beach uh, Boxing Association. He was just uh, uh, you know, just just uh, uh, I, I don't know how to put it. a stooge, I guess would be the best way to put it. And so Mackenzie said, you can fight in Toronto. And the report is back, Mackenzie yeah, up, you can fight here in Toronto, but it can't be for the title. We don't recognize it for the title because we don't want to upset the United States because muhammad's not became a muslim as if that has anything to do with the fight and because we don't accept it him as the world champion we can't accept this as a world title fight so this will just be a world title elimination bout, and it's ridiculous and george was very hurt by that and disappointed that his own boxing commission in ontario would treat him that way and they also thought well you know george doesn't deserve the title shot but that's out of the purview of the ontario athletic commission it's not their job to rate fighters. And, and, you know, this happened again with Ken Hayashi. They're not. Their job is to make sure, to ensure that the tickets printed up are real and not fake, that federal and provincial income tax is collected at the gate, and that there's medical personnel present, and that there's police supervision. That's the job of the Ontario Athletic Commission, period. So to go away beyond that and have the media back them up, and everyone here in Toronto and the media derided George Chavallo. He doesn't deserve it. He's a bomb. Ali will knock him out. But George had never been knocked out. He'd never been hurt. he never been knocked down. There was no reason to believe that. And the only person that stood up for the fight and George was Nat Fleischer, the, the uh, editor and founder of Ring Magazine. He said, George certainly deserves it. He's beaten top 10 got contenders. Why doesn't he deserve a crack at the title in his own city? This isn't right. And, of course, he said, as Fleischer said, I'll be attacked by the head of the Ontario Athletic Commission, and by these other people. But who cares? Right is right. What's interesting about this particular fight was, and Angelo said this to me a long time after the fight, uh, when you watch the fight, George wins the first two, three rounds. you know, And he's doing well, two, three, four rounds. And the reason he was doing well is he was using his jab. He was out jabbing Ali. And then he figured this out for the first Norton-Ali fight. If you want to beat, and this was when Ali was Ali quickest thing on two feet ever in any weight division. If you wanna beat him, everything comes off the jab for Ali and you gotta take away his jab. And George was doing that in the opening rounds. Of course, George said the one thing he never figured on, which he learned 30 seconds into the bout, was the fact that Muhammad Ali was the quickest heavyweight that ever lived. George knew that his strategy had to be because of Muhammad's legs, you know, it was so quick as well as his hands, that you had to get in and work his body, take away his mobility before you could go upstairs. So George had to do that, but Ali knew that would be his strategy. So Ali, uh, because it was a larger ring, kept the fight on the outside. What amazed George is that Ali, while he was moving from side to side, forward or back, could throw shots while he was in motion that not only were quick, but incredibly accurate. He said there wasn't much power, he wasn't hurt. It looked worse on the tape than it was, but he was piling up the points. And so at times in the fight, he hit Ali low, and he was warned by the referee. And, and he said, when you watch the fight, it wasn't intentional. I'm leaning down to hit him. He's he's leaning on top of me, or I just leaned in with a shot. He, George said that Muhammad uh, had a special trunks and athletic supporter, which were a bit too high, which the referee noted, Jackie Silvers noted, that. Um, I believe it was Jackie Silvers, noted that Ali's, um, uh, yeah, trunks were too high and and the supporters too high. But be that as it may, some punches did stray south, as they often do, and Ali would point that out. But it was still a very good fight. They fought toe-to-toe. Um, Muhammad won most of the rounds. I think the referee gave him 12 or 13 rounds, and the other two judges gave him 13 rounds. Uh, George thought he did better than that. There were people from New York who's, who thought, writers who thought George won you know, four or five rounds. Ali was very dominant then. George was the first person to ever go to distance with Muhammad Ali when Muhammad was just beginning his prime. Now, when you say that to George, he would take that as an insult. And then over the years, he realized going 15 rounds doesn't exist anymore. It's special territory for top 10 contenders. And world champions, and he was there from the first round to the fifteenth round. And there was a time in the fight where Ali held him by the neck and said, "Here, hit me in the side." And George did hit him, but George, people said, "Why didn't why didn't those punches take effect?" And he said, "They did, but I was so close to him, I couldn't really move my arm that much to get that much steam on him." He said, "But he only did it once," and uh, George took a lot of shots to the face, but he caught a lot of shots on his hands. And he was just worried about not worried, concerned with destroying Muhammad Ali's body. And he was able to, because after the fight, Ali was in the hospital for a while. He was urinating blood. And the night of the fight, when it was over, George went dancing with his wife. Uh, One of the things that bothered George was, you know, Muhammad was getting, I think, 125, 150 grand and which would be a per diem today. And George was getting 49 grand of which Irv Anderman, I think, took 24,000 off the top. And then of the other 25, he took 50% because he worked as both the promoter and manager, which is in direct violation of the rules of boxing, not only in Canada, in the United States and around the world, but you were able to get away with it then. So George ended up fighting the greatest fighter of all time for $12,500. He had, as I said, 17 days to train. So he brought in the best sparring partners. His manager Irv Ongerman brought in Joe Lewis. And rocky marciano but as george said that was more of a pain in the butt because these guys really weren't interested in, in helping him fight uh, they were just there to collect a paycheck and and to get uh you know th- be in the news again also uh, you know uh Ra- rocky marciano uh and sh- and joe lewis were certain types of fighters and they didn't really have the the right style that would have worked to get muhammad ali i think marciano would have been too slow joe lewis would have been a great fight but we don't know we do know that shavallo did his best from the first round um to the last um his parents were there you know one of the things about georgian boxing of course was his father said to him you're going to quit the first time your nose bleeds when i asked george who was the toughest guy he ever knew or faced he said my dad now this is the true story both of george's parents worked at Royce DuPont, Canada Packers. That's for Irv Ungerman. He owned the factory. And it was his mother who said, can you help my son? You know, he needs management. His mother was a chicken plucker, and you got a couple cents per chicken. So she would come at recess to feed George and put food through the fence, and her hands would be cracked from plucking these chickens. His father had a lame arm, I think left arm. And yet he worked on the kill floor. He would slaughter cattle. George never knew this, but he said, you know, every every year his father got two weeks off. And he said, I didn't know that. He was never home. And he was talking to a, an older guy years later. And he said, no, because your father was so afraid because of the depression. This was in the 50s, years after, that he would lose his job, that he'd go down during his two-week vacation, sit in a chair and watch two men do his job. It took two men to do a one-armed man's job. and." That, and it made George cry because he was thought his father felt so insecure after being there that long. We all know Muhammad's story, you know, born January 17th, 1942, into a, a lower middle class black family. Um, grew up in Louisville, Kentucky uh, with his brother Rudy, who became Rachman, and, you know, went to the Olympics and grew up in a loving family the same way George did both. George came from an immigrant family, and Muhammad, you know, was really a a person of the world. He was welcomed everywhere. He was welcomed in Canada. He used to get his suits here from Lou Miles, and he always got his suits here. Him and George became very good friends. But one of the things, you know, uh, you have to understand about this fight was at the time the fight took place, Muhammad Ali was one of the most hated people, if not the most hated person, in the United States. He wasn't the world icon that he became later on in his own country, at least. Other countries embraced him. You know, he went to visit Nelson Mandela in South Africa in 64 after he won the title, but the racist government wouldn't let him in. But because of the bigotry in the United States, especially on the draft boards, which consisted mostly of Southerners, who were drafting uh, African-Americans way out of proportion to their numbers in society and using them as cannon fodder on the front lines of Vietnam. So. Muhammad, because he wouldn't go. And he never said, I won't go. He never said, I won't fight in Vietnam. What he said was, if you can show me one black person, male or female, that voted in the last federal election in my home state of Kentucky and lived to tell about it, then I will gladly join the U.S. Army. And the deal was, he didn't have to go fight. He could just stay in in the States, in Louisville, or wherever, and just sign autograph pictures for the troops and on the uniform and do that. And he would not do that. He didn't want to contrib- contribute to going over and killing these dark Asiatic peoples. So hopefully you'll let me know when the stream is continuing. So am I free to keep talking? Yes, no. Let me know now, please. Eric? Eric?